Welcome to another episode of the Perfect Movie Soundtrack, where the movie needs the soundtrack as much as the soundtrack needs the movie. I'm Joshua Weber. I'm Matt Lombardi. And I'm Heather Samples. You wanted it, and now you got it. Join us this week as we take on a true soundtrack giant. We'll pick our number one songs for a drug overdose, name our all-time favorite movie hallucination scenes, and what conversation about train spotting would be complete without Rugrats Go Wild. You're quiet, sensitive type. A little bit crazy, a little bit bad. Choose washing machines, cars, compact displays, and dental insurance. You lied on your application. He's always been lacking in moral fiber. He knows a lot about Sean Connery. That's hardly a substitute. Ah! The man's psycho, man. He's a mate. So what can you do? What are you two talking about? We all be going dun 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 Wow, you guys are here comes heaven. It sounds to me like y'all are fired up and ready to talk about train spotting. Of course. Let's kind of like start with with a, a quick recap of Train Spotting, right? So this is Danny Boyle's second movie. His first movie, Shallow Grave, is you know a, a lovely thing that earns a BAFTA immediately. Mm-hmm. Wow! But in 1996, he ends up with this absolutely stellar sophomore effort that changes his life forever. Obviously, it's based on the Irvine Welsh novel. Uh, which came out just a few years before the movie was made in 93. And as I'm hoping every listener knows, it is about uh, heroin users in uh, Edinburgh in the 1980s. And obviously, this is one of the biggest soundtrack albums in the history of the Mm -hmm. world. It went gold or platinum in every country. uh, And it, it continued to be in pressings until 2003. So for seven years, people were still hankering for those uh, hard copies of this album. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I like it. It like really helped me bridge this moment when I was super obsessed with punk in high mm. school to like my electronica phase in college when I became a club kid. And so it, it was like doing this job of like ferrying me across the river sticks <laughs> from like one subculture <laughs> to another. Um, and and it just couldn't have been more perfect for my own like musical tastes at the time. Mm. We've had this category that's like a love letter to a single genre, like the big chill being uh, all about Motown or pretty in pink being all about new wave or the harder they come and reggae. And we've also had these kind of like hit parade soundtracks uh, that are just like driving a bunch of, you know, songs that people know and love at us. But uh, and we've had things that have a really big shadow soundtrack where the the songs that you might associate with watching the movie are not available to you on the, on the CD that you buy, right? Right. But none of those things are true about Trainspotting. Trainspotting was an album unto itself in its own right. And I, I think we, we haven't really had an entry that we can say that about with, with quite as much strength as we can Trainspotting. Love for life. Love for life. Love for life. 
here's our album experience episode. Let's uh, let's dive in. One thing we have to get out of the way first, you guys, is what the fuck train spotting means. I don't know if you guys remember <laughs> this like pre-internet moment when uh, mm-hmm. when people couldn't answer a trivia question for themselves in seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, sure, yeah, <laughs> and, very well. Uh, and so there would be these like circulating urban legends um, that that like got real traction, and and you could end up hearing some pretty crazy theories for shit. So you may remember that everyone for years talked about. Like, what is the title of this movie? Where does it come from? What, what does it mean? What does train spotting refer to? So I'm going to give you a pop quiz. You ready? Yep. Let's do I've it. got five choices for you. Okay. Number one. Ooh. Train spotting is about watching trains. Literally. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number two. Train spotting is about mm-hmm. being an obsessive nerd about anything. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, I didn't make any of these up, you guys. Every single oh, one of are, every single was, <laughs> every single one of these has a cohort of believers on on the interwebs. Okay, okay. interesting. All right. <laughs> Number three. Um, it's it's uh like shadowing the DJ at the club and watching their method for uh mixing and and seeing whatever it is they're spinning so that you can be cool and go to the record store and buy it or something. Uh-huh. I like that one. Number four. It's about shooting up heroin. Uh, it's about looking for your old track marks and your collapsed veins so that you can find like a new spot. Ooh, track marks. That's good. <laughs> and number five, it is uh, the kind of chick, 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 blurred interrupted vision that uh, happens when you're really high on an opiate and, uh, and which kind of looks like watching the other side of the train tracks while a train's passing. When, I, when the movie came out, I always thought it was um, D shooting uh-huh. up so that's what i'm going to stick with even though now that i'm hearing you say these i kind of actually want to make a different choice but i'm, I'm going to stay true to my young self and i'm going to say that it's four okay. d matt so a few years ago i heard a story of why oasis passed on being on the soundtrack i've heard this as well <laughs> which leads uh-huh. me to believe it is a. <laughs> and I'm going to go with what Noel, Noel Gallagher thought. Uh, th- that's what Noel Gallagher believed. And so he was like, I don't want to be in a movie about some nerd watching trains. Apparently, yeah. Uh, yeah, they approached yeah. him. And um, Danny Boyle is from near Manchester. And he was very keen to have Noel Gallagher do something. And then, wait, I have the quote here. The producer says that Noel Gallagher says, I met Noel at a thing the other week, and he said to me, I would have done something, but honestly, I thought it was about train spotters. <laughs> I didn't know. That's what he actually said. So, yeah, that is that is what it refers to. And the and the way that you learn... Wait, so it, so is it's a. A. it is A. Well, it is just spotting trains. It's just spotting trains, oh. yes. Like bird watching. Uh, yes, like, so like, Noel Gallagher was correct. Noel Gallagher is right. But here's the thing. You can't actually learn that from watching the movie. Yeah, no, the movie doesn't have anything uh, to do with it. No, there's a brief moment, right? No, it's never revealed. The way that it is revealed in in Train Spotting Two, which I hope we don't actually spend any time tonight talking about. Oh well, we might spend a little time on it. Okay, <laughs> I I have not watched it. I have not watched it. That's either. a good question to ask because me and my wife were asking ourselves, how come we just it completely ignored it? We just said no. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Well, let's, maybe we should return to that. But anyway, there is a moment in Train Spotting Two when they reveal. 
Uh, this moment that comes from the book. There's a there's like a, a drunk guy at a train station who later turns out to be the estranged father of one of the main characters. And what he's asking uh, our protagonists when he kind of bumps into them at the train station is, what are, what are you guys doing? Train spotting? Um, because it's, it's all he can imagine people sitting around at a train station doing mm. when in fact uh, they are okay. shooting up. Isn't there a so, scene where they see a train go by in this movie though? Or did I hallucinate yes. that? Okay. Yes. No, there, but there they is, never, that's, that's the only wink or reference. Yep. So you had to have read the book. So there you go. Train spotting has literally the most boring of all possible definitions that's surprising to me i thought that was just there just to be like a joke (laughs) in your options the other question is what oasis song would have been on this in 1996 it it would have been pretty wild if if um this movie had featured uh oasis blur and pulp that would have like brought together like it would have like ended (laughs) and the the rivals it'd be like the lord of the rings ending early or something like that right (laughs) just like yeah whatever we got the ring or we don't got the ring it's fine we're all here (laughs) maybe that was maybe that was the real reason he didn't want to be on it and he was like oh i thought it was about spotting trains (laughs) and he was like i hate pulp spotting pulp Nobody wants to be your friend Cause you're not from around here As if that was something to be proud about If the king of the Isle of Dogs Feels of children in the bones Down by with playing fields Someone sets a car on fire I guess you have to go right down well, let's. Well, okay. Speaking of pulp, let's uh, let's talk for just a second about what we do have on this soundtrack. Uh, even though we don't have Oasis, sidebar. Thank God. Oh come um, on! They would have been good on it. They've a- they've aged well. No man. They would have been fine on it. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. <laughs> Me and Joshua uh, jumped on that. <laughs> the the soundtrack, if you haven't listened to it in a while, kind of has uh, both like these these sort of classic songs um, that are pulling from the kind of like washed up punk moment at, at the beginning of the movie, and then it has like a cluster of uh, of, of songs that are contemporary to to ninety six to the movie coming out. So those classic songs we've got, uh, you know. Iggy Pop and Lou Reed. And then on the other side, we have uh, things like Left Field and Pulp and Sleeper and Blur. And uh, both Left Field and Blur were custom songs that uh, were written just for the movie. When Jarvis Cocker was approached to do a song for the movie, he was like, I think I actually have an unreleased track that you guys might like. And then Sleeper, which covers uh, Blondie's Atomic. We've got some older stuff and and we've got some newer stuff. That's kind of the the overview of of what we've got on this album. You know, I've loved this movie. I've said that. Um, and I really liked returning to it this week and watching it and actually watching it a few times um, and and just kind of like being immersed in it again. Did, did you guys 
feel that way? Did you enjoy watching it? What did it feel like to watch this movie that is a little bit of a time machine taking taking you back? I mean, I I definitely appreciated a huge, big cultural moment movie that was just like small and stylized and tactile. Hmm. And Mm -hmm. maybe I'm getting a little too 90s nostalgic here. Um, (laughs) But I found the viewing experience. Maybe I should have watched it a second time because the viewing experience was like, I don't know, being at like. A high school reunion or something because i was like oh this part oh yeah this part oh i forgot this part yeah this part you know and it was just like me kind of doing a recap and i kind of just didn't like let go and get into it because i was like having fun remembering it all mm. and then i was kind of just dreading the feces and the baby stuff <laughs> which i guess is a testament to the movie and i was like oh god sure, i don't want to watch yeah. this scene no i know this scene oh god yeah so my experience was more just like looking at it as a um like i was in a museum oh. huh. and uh-huh. like and like looking at it as an artifact of a moment and a time and kind of picking it apart how long had it been since you had last seen it a while but it was so burned into my mind like yeah. i don't even remember yeah. last time i saw it but a movie like this it felt really it felt really transportive like it it could take you it, it showed you a a world that at the time I certainly did not understand and felt very interested in learning about. Yeah. And even the clothes they're wearing, it's just like so unapologetic for what it is. And it's just like, this is what the movie looks like. This is what it feels like. And maybe there were reference points we didn't know, or it was that exaggerated, but um, it's really something you watch it now and you're like, Oh, of course. Yeah. Young people were just like, what the fuck? This is crazy. I love it. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that for I guess just because I saw it so long ago because I I saw it in the theater I remember I was working uh, I was waiting tables at you know the department store Nordstrom uh, yeah <laughs> yeah they had restaurants there and I was one of those waiters nice. and I, I I had a double and at that same mall they had a movie theater so in between my shifts I went in and watched train spotting and uh and you came out and quit your job i don't remember i i and i haven't i guess i have probably haven't seen it since um so uh, for me the movie felt very fresh i of course i remembered the big things Mm -hmm. and and i don't think anything really happened that i was like oh shit i totally forgot about that because i don't know not really that much happens in a way like but but i the movie felt very fresh to me because i i definitely had not revisited it um and the other thing that i was experiencing and i'm sort of thinking about this because i think that on our journey here this has happened to me a few times now which is just the thing of watching a movie that i haven't seen since i was a young person Mm -hmm. and then seeing it again Mm -hmm. as a not so young person and (laughs) the difference in that experience and so for me the first time i saw it i thought it was screamingly hilarious i thought it was so funny and i remember like being in the theater because this was like a like a a, there was the galleria in dallas it was like a nice obviously it's a nice mall that has a nordstrom right yeah so the people in there were not laughing at this movie and i was (laughs) laughing at this movie a lot (laughs) and so i remember that a lot and i would say that this time watching it i mean you know there's sure there's funny stuff I, i wasn't laughing as much i guess but more importantly i was incredibly horrified by the baby stuff the 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 appearance of the baby in the beginning the baby crawling around throughout those scenes i was i was so horrified by it that when it came to the scene i fast forwarded a minute or two i was just like i know what happens 
I'm not doing this. I'm too, because originally what I did is I paused it and I went and I, I was like, oh, I got to do this other thing. I went and did this other thing, but then I found I didn't want to turn the movie back on. And then I was like, oh, fuck it. I'm, I'm just yeah, going to fast forward to that I was dreading that shit too. I just, I, when the, you know, so I was just a different in perspective that I was really, that I was sort of struck by as well that it was just like you know oh yeah this movie hits different um at different ages but it's a great movie it's a great movie i mean what and what a what a home run by everyone involved i mean it's like damn you really nailed it and i don't i don't know that i was necessarily getting that when i saw that um i think it felt very zeitgeisty when i saw it when i was young and therefore everything you know a lot of things feel zeitgeisty bad movies feel zeitgeisty good movies feel zeitgeisty Mm -hmm. and you see them and you're like yeah that's fun cool i love it it's just like watching the thing i watched yesterday or whatever now i see it and i'm like no this is clearly a really really great movie what i was really impressed i was like kind of nerding out and marveling at some of the the edits and storytelling the scene when begbie um throws the beer over his shoulder right yeah and they pause it so the guy can retell the story he's telling about the pool game yeah but then there's another flashback but then later in the movie it's a flash forward to where he borrows the tape of 100 goals but it's accidentally the sex tape and then that leads to that guy tommy going tommy going becoming a heroin addict (laughs) but when you think of that scene and see it you're just like Oh, all the mind work you have to do and then all the editing and all the setting up of the scenes and then the way you execute it and then you come back to it and then the fact he snuck in the flash forward that becomes kind of a plot point later on. I was just like, oh, this is some fancy flexing filmmaking. And like you said, in the 90s, a lot of people were like, I switched the timing or this part happened before. But he's just very skilled at it and very very good at it but you just reminded me of the other thing that when i was young that I, that the movie spoke to me a lot about was 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 the having that group of friends that you grew up with that you are now that you're not supposed to be friends with for the rest of your life you know and and there's that age where you start to feel that and see that and maybe there's like a couple years beyond that in this film and i definitely remember being of an age where i was like like begbie stuck it stood out to me a lot when i first saw it because i was like oh yeah that fucking guy man yeah like like i knew that guy and he's like he's at every party i go to and and he thinks we're friends and i oh i'm scared of him everyone's life you know it's like you know and and it's that moment when you when you start to realize that your friends are not your friends anymore yeah 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 and i was and i and i definitely you know am not watching it now and and i don't have people like that in my circles <laughs> so because you're not on facebook but i as a young person i definitely remember feeling that sense of like oh yeah you're like a ragtag group of of really different people and you're 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 you cling to each other because friendship is so important and it's not really that it's like some other bullshit that is the reason you're clinging to each other heroin or whatever it is convenience convenience you know yeah a podcast <laughs> <laughs> movie came out I was a teenager in West Virginia like to me the world was still pretty small like NAFTA was only a couple of years ago in terms of like breaking down Mm -hmm. geopolitical borders right and the internet had like not yet begun to shrink the world to to what it would would later do so from my perspective this was like this like European movie Mm. 
was like a foreign film yeah. in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, because because of the way that language was being treated, I think in in large part. And and then there's like the, this attempt to capture the energy of Welsh's prose. Um, and this is where we come back to those dorm posters. If you will recall, the 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 big seller was the one that uh, captured the, the Choose Life monologue. Choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a family, choose a fucking big television, choose washing machines, cars, compact displays and electrical tin openers. Which is the first of, of two monologues that Ewan McGregor gives in the movie that I think are like particularly important to understanding how language and, uh, is, is functioning in the movie. Health, low cholesterol and dental insurance. Fixed it's also a great way to introduce all Choose the uh, main characters. Choose yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase and a range of fucking fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. So Choose Life is like the big opening one. And then at the end, we get this kind of like bookend. Mm-hmm. I'm cleaning up and I'm moving on, going straight and choosing life. I'm looking forward to it already. I'm going to be just like you. The job, the family, the fucking big television, the washing machine, the car, the compact disc and electrical tin opener, good health, low cholesterol, dental insurance, mortgage, starter home, leisure wear, luggage, three-piece suite, DIY, game shows, junk food, children, walks in the park, nine to five, good at golf, washing the car, choice of sweaters, family Christmas, index pension, tax exemption, clearing the gutters, getting by, looking ahead, the day you die. What, what do you guys think is going on here? Like, what was so sticky about this? Why why were literally hundreds of thousands of kids putting this poster on their walls? The, my, my answer to that is, is about kids being dumb. Um, <laughs> the movie's not dumb. It works. It's good. It's good stuff. I like it in the movie. But kids put... Of course, I mean, of course, yeah. that's what kids were attracted to. Like, it's like, remember that song about like, um, oh, I can't even think of how it goes now. There was some song about where it was like a spoken word thing, and it was like somebody saying, "You should dance. You, you got to do this. You should always do this." Da, 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 da. It was sort of like this, but it was like a hit in the alternative radio in the '90s, and it was very similar. Enjoy your body. Use it every way you can. Don't be afraid of it or what other people think of it. It's the greatest instrument you'll ever own. Even if you have nowhere to do it but in your own living room, read the directions, even if you don't follow them. Do not read beauty magazines. They will only make you feel ugly. Um, It just, you know, I think that, like, this is the, uh, the the very simple thing that makes a lot of sense to young brains. Um... Now, that's talking about the young brains. In the movie, it's great. It works great in the movie. It's mm-hmm. great. It's fun. Sounds and it cool. does. It works does, well. Good scenes. Music is great. It does the same thing that Lust for Life is doing lyrically as well. When he's like, I got a lust for life, doesn't mean you want to live life, or you got a lust for life, which is doing all the drugs and alcohol that are killing you. You know, so it kind of does that two-hander or kind of double double meaning thing which is clever but i mean the not, I, I guess i hesitate to say this because the internet and people's instagrams are so filled with stupid quotes and quotations but the 90s loved a good a good quote i feel like there was this like pseudo literariness to the 90s that people glommed onto whether they read books or not and it was just part of the barnes and I noble mean, vibe yeah. things going on you know a lot of what he says in fight club sounds very similar to this uh I think it was, you know, very zeitgeisty. It's a vibe that's going on. 
in the 90s for a certain part of uh, mainstream society who's like middle class and white things seem really easy and boring and the greatest worst fate they can realize is being stuck in an office job so instead of that you can do heroin instead of that you can join an underground fight club and i feel like people were really into this concept and you saw it in a ton of movies where everything was corporate cookie cutter bullshit and what's the transgressive subversive stuff that breaks us away from that so then you'd being hackers yeah so then you'd 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 fantasize it in movies or you know working at empire records or whatever <laughs> right like yeah because this this and fight club have a lot of parallels to me it's kind of yeah. funny how uh how like seemingly easy it is to make this list of these bourgeois mod cons in in uh in these two monologues and yet when you actually like really listen to them i feel like they're it's like pretty fantastic writing actually um and is and is really compelling my sister was telling me the other day yep. that uh her fresh so my sister went to college in many years after this movie was was made like 2003 something like that and uh, at the University of Virginia had this like ridiculous blonde roommate who had probably never uh, spent a Sunday morning doing anything other than like gleefully attending her Presbyterian church. And she showed up to college with the with the choose life poster. My sister was telling me. Oh, and, my God. Oh, and then eventually, awesome. like partway through the, the school year, my sister was like, do you do you know what, the, what that poster's from? And the roommate was like. No, the, the poster is like an ins- it's inspirational poetry. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's funny. Oh wow, yeah, really? really? You dude. can make it to college without knowing <laughs> or seeing train spotting. Wow. While we're on this quick topic, what your monologues are forcing me to have to talk about here, but I'll try to keep it somewhat brief, is T two. Which is not Terminator Two, oh. but it is the, <laughs> yes, you fooled me for a sec there. Joshua. It is the joke. It is the jokey name yeah. that they gave to Transformers Two. A, a really, a really dumb idea um, to name the sequel, but um, you know, I guess they they had a laugh with it. The Choose Life monologue is, of course, going to be brought up again in Train Spotting Two. It has to. They can't sure. not do that. Do they update it? They do, and I want to play for you the scene in which they do it because I think it really demonstrates demonstrates how i hate to say bad i don't think it's fair to say bad but let's just say that train spotting 2 feels as if it has nothing no spiritual connection to the first one whatsoever so matt it's, and it's, i were right to ignore it all it's, it's, and it's, danny it's, boyle watched, made it right i yes, watched it did. today it is directed by the director of slumdog millionaire ah uh. Uh-huh. I see what you're saying. I enjoy Slumdog Millionaire. It's a fun movie. Mm-hmm. But that's a mm-hmm. bit of a different director. Yeah. And this movie, I guess these characters live in his head, right? And so he's they grow with him. You know, I know Irvin Rauch has written about mm-hmm. them for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. So these characters have all evolved. Yeah. Whatever that space mm-hmm. is in between the two. If I only saw Train Spotting in 1996 and then I saw Train Spotting 2 in 2017 or whatever it came out, maybe that space would be so distant that I wouldn't be jarred by how incongruous they are but because i had seen both of them very close to each other it is really hard to recognize the first film in the second film they do not seem related to each other and so i'm gonna play for you this is making me want to watch the second one um even if it's bad i'd be i'd be impressed if you finish it i'll say that uh so here is the choose life scene from um it happens in the middle of the movie there's not really Wait, much. what year was this released? Uh, 2017, I think. 
Heather, should we make any guesses on what he chooses? Is there a choose Instagram in there? <laughs> choose B Pollen Cal smoothies. Like, what is the update? <laughs> All right. No, I mean, let's I think hear, you're, you're, this is good that you're guessing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's at lunch with Sick Boy's girlfriend. Interesting. What's choose life? What? Choose life. Simon Uh-oh. says it sometimes. He says, choose life, Veronica. <laughs> <laughs> what is going choose on? Choose life. Choose life was a well-meaning slogan from a 1980s anti-drug campaign. And we used to add things to it. So I might say, for example, choose designer lingerie in the vain hope of kicking some life back into a dead relationship. <laughs> Choose handbags, choose high-heeled shoes, cashmere and silk to make yourself feel what passes for happy. Hashtag relatable. In China by a woman who jumped out of a window. This went off on a weird, weird way. Way darker, actually, than the original. Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, and a thousand ways across people you've never met. Choose updating your profile. A little heavy on the internet. for breakfast and hope that He's apparently ad-libbing this, too, according to the way the conversation's going. Desperate to believe that you don't look as bad as they do. This is not exactly making me want to watch it anymore. Human interaction reduced to nothing more than data. Choose ten things you never knew about celebrities. I mean, part of me is like, dude, why are you yelling in this restaurant? Choose rape jokes, slut shaming, revenge porn, and an endless tide of depressing misogyny. It's just like, it's just loud. It's I don't believe that he's saying that stuff. The thing with the movie, the 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 train spotting, it's a voiceover. He's 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 not staring at the camera telling us these things yeah. right these things may exist in his head they may exist in in like they're like the idea of him they're like the ideas that float around that that film that mm-hmm. art makes manifest if you will and and that we go with that we don't believe that Renton like sat in his room one day and hit record on a button and said choose life choose this choose that right like why would he do that that's weird you know that's just I don't believe the character did that mm-hmm. it, it's 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 a feeling and a vibe that is created in the movie that this scene does not have and that this sequel does not have. And I thought that was a good example once you brought that up of of kind of how yeah. the sequel is just I just don't understand how they got there. And what's funny is even if it is in his head or we don't know when he's doing the voiceover narration, it feels more conversational actually than this one. And the things he's saying are kind of broadly relatable. He's like eating junk food and watching soccer or whatever. This one is very specific where he's like, choose 9-11 conspiracy theories. And then it goes to this like weird kind of really obvious social commentary. And the reason the one in the 90s worked because he was just listing the mundane bullshit of life. This one, he's like listing like weird, awful, specific things that we've maybe conjured up as a society and it's just not working at all. It works very well in the original. Yeah, and it's also just like it's nice to listen yeah. to. Whereas in the in the sequel, it's it's He's not nice to listen to. It's like, dude. Yeah, like, and I don't know if yeah. they sampled the drums, yeah. but it's like they like turned them into law and order drums and it's like dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what a downer. 
Sorry about that. But I mean, I think I think <laughs> I, so it, it, it gets out of the, the way minors. what I wanted to say about T2 in a way that uh, yeah, no, it's, that I think is useful. I think you're right to have uh, forced forced us to take a, a minute or two to engage T2. But now that we've checked that off, let's do something yeah. more fun. Let's go back um, to the the soundtrack. Let's 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 throw that scene into the toilet, <laughs> and then go fish hmm. it back which, out. Which toilet? What Interesting am I metaphor. About? The worst one in I don't Scotland. know what's going on. That segue doesn't work. <laughs> So we're going to talk about the toilet, right? Yeah, let's do it. It's iconic. I went to high school with a girl who um, I was told years later, I don't know this, so I won't I won't out her by saying her name, but I was told that when Ewan McGregor climbs into that toilet, she said aloud, Jesus, that's a big toilet. <laughs> what? <laughs> and because I know who said it, I kind of believed it. <laughs> She was a little ditzy. Maybe she was just experiencing it as realism. I think that she probably she probably was not familiar with things not being realism in movies. <laughs> I mean, it, it is in the beginning of the movie, I guess. That scene is just so iconic. And, and like part of the... This movie is not... I don't know. Maybe for you guys. I, I respect it. I had fun at times. But parts of it are hard to watch because of all because of all the feces this was hard for me to watch this time <laughs> like the bodily fluid and bodily it's functions really gross. that he's so obsessed really with gross. throughout it i was like oh man yeah. i forgot how much poop and dead babies are in this movie once he gets in the toilet it's great and he finds the well, yeah because then he's in a beautiful yeah. underwater ocean that's like bright blue and but like when he first goes to the what is it called? The shittiest. Uh, the little pieces are all over them and stuff. Oh, I actually, I, you, I, I'm gonna. <laughs> you guys are gonna uh, like accuse me of being like a scatologist, but I actually love that aspect. Oh of this my god! Movie. With Spud in the sheets I, when he shits the bed and throws it all over the place. I admire it. I didn't make me wa- necessarily enjoy it's so, watching. It's, like, it's on the you know it, uh, of the ways that the movie like lives in all these in between spaces. Like on the realism side, like this is actually really useful. Uh, like. This is surface journalism about what opioids do, yeah. right? And it's and it's like it's giving you this like really intense bodily experience that I think feels Oh, it's like not that it's really it's a good choice. immediate and true to it, the story and to the It yeah. absolutely works and it's a great I agree with choice. All that. Yeah. You, you guys are just like grossed out it's by just the poop. Yeah. Literally gross. That's it's it. It's just That's a lot of gross saying. poop. He shouldn't oh, not do okay. it. He should do it cuz it really achieves what you're talking about and like the visceral yeah. bodily disgust it's it's up there with like one of the it's it's up there with as just like purely gross as the scene can be <laughs> yeah with the um but but that scene has one of the most like i think beautiful songs yes it does i agree
us more about that song, Joshua. I, you know, I don't know that there's a whole lot you need to say about that song or that you can say about that song. It's it's um, by Brian Eno. It's very ambient. The song sounds like what is happening in the sense that he's swimming underwater in this really beautiful water that's very blue and there's sun shining through and the music sounds like um, this really peaceful quiet and nice sound you know and that I, I would be curious to know like how Danny Boyle ended up with this song as the choice it's a great choice but it's sort of an interesting one for a number of reasons. One, it was recorded quite a ways before. Um, 1983, it was put out on an album that Brian Eno made for um, a movie that was coming out about the Apollo space missions. And that movie ended up not coming out until 1989. And it's called For All Mankind. And I recommend it. It's very good. And it's a great Bri- movie. Yeah. Brian Eno's music is really nice throughout. There's also some other music in it uh, that's, that's really good. Uh, it, it's it's cool it's a very cool movie it's all like a re- uh, footage of the um you know the shuttle uh going to the moon or i guess it wasn't the shuttle at the time the apollo missions and all this stuff anyway so brian you know made this and somehow or other he picked this song deep blue day to be the song in this moment and it fits great. It's a really, it, it, it works really well. It sounds great. Worth noting about Brian Eno is that he's the inventor of ambient music, which he named himself. He came up with the concept and he made a whole bunch of music like that in the 70s and 80s. Wait, wait, wait. I knew that, but I didn't know, did he specifically call it ambient? Yes. Yes. He came up with the name. He came up with the concept. Uh, yes. That's so funny that I've never known that with all the Brian Eno I've listened to. I thought some other critic just slapped it on there. Did he also invent Ambien, the sleeping drug? He did not. Does he have, does he get, um, you know what he did invent? Points off the back back end for that? You know what he did invent is oblique strategies. Do you guys know about oblique strategies? I bought it for my wife. She's a crazy, crazy Brian Eno fan. That makes sense. That makes sense. You're saying it in a nice and critical way at the same time. No, I don't mean critically at all. I'm saying like, a, 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 like I, what oh, that act. makes a lot of sense. Like, well, your wife is a trained architect. Like, of course she needs oblique strategies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, I highly recommend investing in oblique strategies, which are, uh, I think there are a hundred of them. Is that right, Matt? There's like, I think so. It's a big it's deck. A, it's a pretty big deck of cards that offer like ways, ways out of creative conundrums through like thought experiments and exercises that are truly mind blowing. And yeah, uh, it's just fun to read through too. They're fun to read. To they're fun them. to do. Choose Amazon. <laughs> Choose Prime. <laughs> Choose Oblique Strategies. Choose One Click. <laughs> Brian Eno is a really interesting guy. Um, there's a good documentary called The Man Who Fell to Earth that is about part of his mm-hmm. career. Um, I think they're working on another one now, but uh, there's uh, too much to get into here. But he's had an insane career and he's just basically had been key to a lot of things that you may not even realize that you know about and that you are interested in. Um, He's just kind of done everything. Choose NFTs. (laughs) 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 That was a good one, Matt. (laughs) Just a perfect day. Drink sangria in the park And then later When 
it gets dark, we go home. Just a perfect day. All right, so let's talk about some of the classics. Yeah, let's. And I think it's, you know, it's it wasn't as obvious to me at the time as it is now, but Lou Reed, obviously Velvet Underground, you know, he wrote a song called Heroin. Iggy Pop, they're steeped in singing about drug addiction, you know, kind of the 70s punk or post-punk or just kind of out artsy outsider, but still kind of mainstream drug addict cool vibe so it fits very well in this but for someone like me when i was like 16 or 17 when this came out and um thinking of oh lou reed's solo career is more than just walk on the wild side and so i want to focus on um perfect day by lou reed which is used very well in this movie the scene is ewan mcgregor um what's his name denton renton (laughs) renton (laughs) been a character in any movie we've ever watched that matt has known the name of i, I was thinking of is that the name of the town in that mountain goat song about the best ever metal band out of it denton is. it is i went God, to I love uh, that one semester of college there i failed out of one semester really? of college there oh, amazing the best ever death metal band out of denton never settled on a name the top three contenders, after weeks of debate, were Satan's fingers, and the killers, and the hospital bombers. Can someone put that song in a movie? Anyway, back to Perfect Day by Lou Reed. So Renton, <laughs> Renton. Mark Renton. I don't know. They got these accents. You think I can tell an R from a D with these <laughs> Scottish mates? <laughs> on drugs screaming at each other (laughs) Um, so ren here's what i need help with renton goes to his dealer and he gets a a hit of heroin and uh, you you remember this scene because he like i always remember it because they do this kind of rug gag where he, he he shoots up and then he starts sinking in the rug and the rug there's a cutout in the floor and he's sinking through the floor and it's one of these kind of like hyper dreamscape semi-realistic weirdo cool drug scenes he does and you lose him and then he's ODing and as this is all happening Lou Reed's perfect day starts creeping in and then the song takes you pretty far throughout the scene yeah because he it feels like one of the longer um, songs being played and he's ODing and then he's lying by the side of the road with Mother Superior is that what he goes by? Yeah. And they call a taxi and then the taxi drops him off at the hospital and he's being wheeled through the hospital and the whole time you're hearing it's such a perfect and it's juxtaposed um, against um, this scene and it works really well because it's not as much a winky jokesy jokey juxtaposition that we'd often see in the 90s. Um, It definitely is kind of the opposite of what's going on. Um, but I think it works well. And a lot of people claim that, oh, the perfect day Lou Reed is talking about is um, an ode to heroin. But Lou Reed himself is like, no, I was just writing a straight up romantic song about hanging out with someone in Central Park and having a great day. And he's like, I'm the writer. He's like, you can interpret it how you want because you're allowed to because, you know, it's Lou Reed and he's cool with everything. But he had said, like, it was actually just a straight up ode and romantic song and i believe so him on sweet. that i, I kind of believe too. him i think he was just writing this honest song and he had a good day and was hanging out and he was like that was great life's crazy you got to embrace these days 
it's, it takes a lot of real magic to make this scene work as well as it does. I mean, Perfect Day uh, under another director would have been a bad choice here. It's so obvious. It's so on the nose. It is, you, you alluded, you said it's not winky winky. Well, another director would have definitely, it, that would have been unavoidable that, 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 that this was the music playing over it. But the movie yeah. knows that it's like really ironic and it's like aware of that. And it's like, milking that in a way that feels so good and that's coupled or they, they're getting away with that in part because that the directing during it is just so inspired i mean that i the way that he sinks into the carpet and then that the carpet frames the rest of the shot um throughout is i don't even know where you would come up with an idea like that that is such a, a visually it's truly, truly i mean that is a guy who is like yeah. seeing a art of, of the visual medium and art and seeing a thing in a way that is like you hope filmmakers see most don't because you have to be like an incredible artist to even have an idea like that it's so cool I can't even think of another movie where I've seen something <laughs> like that even though this movie plays a lot of odes to other movies I mean it's doing that a lot that's a scene that is just like you are in the hands of a real uh, unique point of view here real talent. a real talent yeah. And yeah to that end maybe we'll sidebar this but i i was actually thinking about like let's go to like number two movies that announce a talent as boldly as this one does i mean you could you could really start oh, looking at that list yeah. and it'd be like no this this is pretty high up there in terms of like you know saying like okay we're dealing with a major major talent here and that's that scene i think is a, yeah. is a big one that does it because it's brilliantly shot brilliantly directed the idea is incredible the the song is absolutely wonderful in the scene and it definitely wouldn't have been if other people had made this movie i think that it forever changed uh my relationship to that song like i find it really hard now to think about that song without thinking about that push and pull between its potential darkness and its potential lightness. I was thinking about that while mm. watching the movie this week. Like, oh, wow, I can no longer hear that song without having this movie somewhere in the back of my mind. Can I mess with your relationships with it? Because there is some weird Perfect Day fun facts out there I want to share with you guys. <laughs> okay, lay them on us. So this movie came out in 1996. But in 1995, Duran Duran released it as a cover off a covers album. <laughs> really? And so did... I don't think I've ever heard that song. Me, I never have. And so did Evan Dando from the Lemonheads, apparently. I have heard that version. <laughs> fucking so maybe, maybe, fucking maybe it was on people's people's minds on you know who evan before. dando deserves the perfect the, here's my perfect matchmaking of all time fucking alanis morissette and fucking evan dando <laughs> they probably hooked up <laughs> i've become an uh, i've become a lemonheads apologist oh, i just want God. you guys to know that that's the shame about matt <laughs> <laughs> the other cover the bbc charity release so this one I never heard of either. In 1997, a year after, BBC spent a ton of money, and I think some people criticized for it, for this big like BBC commercial about their, how they're so in tune to, to music, and they give music and cover all kinds of music to the people. And they had one of those like celebrity We Are the World covers of the song. <laughs> oh my God. Featuring, they got good names for this. They got Lou Reed, Bono, Elton John, Susan Vega, 
Emmy Lou Harris, Tammy Wynette, Dr. John, David Bowie Jesus, um, is a- in there. And there is, oh, Evan, Evan Tando shows up again because he's like, guys, I've covered the song. I got it. I got it. Let me God. in this. And then. And they were like, all right, baby brother, <laughs> yeah. shut the fuck up and stand and in then, the back. Uh, Laurie Anderson and randomly Tom Jones. And of course, Lou Reed was there. But that's a hell of a, you know, we are the world kind of. It sure is. I'm going to, I'm going to check that out after we we'll stop to, tonight. I'll have to that play, play really a little good. for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Also, when he died in 2013, guess who tweeted out the lyrics to, oh, it's such a perfect day. I'm glad I spent it with you. Cardinal Gianfranco Ravasi, the Vatican's culture minister. (laughs) That was his tribute to Lou Reed? He tweeted, uh, oh, it's such a perfect day. I'm glad I spent it with you. Oh, it's such a perfect day. You just keep me hanging on. And then later apologized that he's against uh, drug use, if anyone confused what he was talking about. So I bet you the reason that he's into that is because there's a really, um, there's a cover of this or cover duet, whatever you want to call it, with Pavarotti. Oh my God. if you haven't heard it. Joshua, you cracked the code. You should. Because it's it's pretty funny. Because it's like, Lou Reed sings his part and it's like- I've seen this on YouTube. And it's like, Lou Reed's like, you know, it's such a perfect day. And then it's like, oh! <laughs> yeah and he's really loud oh you know and it's it's very, I'm it's very funny. I mean, <laughs> oh my god my mom's gonna love that big Pavarotti fan it's it's kind of powerful I mean you know it's a beautiful song and him singing it it's powerful but you could kind of also laugh it because you're like wow this is so over the top that is so good if I had to I would- if I had to count two of my favorite The Perfect Movie podcast moments of Joshua's, one would be Dom DeLuise as the <laughs> Phantom, and the other would be Pavarotti covering Perfect yeah. Day. He's like the Italian you detective. Really nailed the like, yeah, the like fringe Italians. I could not make the connection. I was like, why the hell would the Vatican even address this? I bet you that's the connection. And I love that theory. That's got to be right. Is this the song that you would want playing when you are uh, in need of uh, some help in the emergency room, Matt? So you're you're ODing or or just any help? No, I mean you're you're ODing on an opiate. No, you can't you can't pick okay. a movie soundtrack. Wait, song why does it have to be an own. opiate? Do, could you be ODing on anything, or does it have to be a specific kind? Like you're saying an, an opiate? Like, no, you're you're right. It doesn't have to be an opioid. It yeah. could it could be something else. You can up OD on all sorts of things. You all right, OD so you're, all sorts of you're OD. Joshua, you do you, buddy. Like, I think all ODs matter here. You know, wow, you're kind of you're kind of cutting off a lot of <laughs> possibilities. <laughs> but it's about time that I flex my love of pavement on this show. Finally, oh, yeah. here we go. And it's finally happening. Everybody, their, buckle in. Off their first <laughs> album, play here. Oh while yeah, I'm ODing and being. Um, that's a good one. Rushed into the uh, hospital. Is that because you want to hear it while it's happening, or is that because that's how you want other people to experience your moment? Well, like who? The nurse who's just like, stop playing that song. I'm trying to revive you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> what do you have, an iPod on yeah. you? What is this guy doing? <laughs> what is happening here? Who's, got, who's in control of the hospital speakers right now? <laughs> <laughs> We'll be away 
you guys that in thinking about uh the the way that perfect day is played in this scene and like all of the songs that uh i can imagine being mine i was like oh yeah this is definitely uh like a a mind a heather mind fuck like this song and this movie and this scene have really fucked me and the only things i can come up with are things that feel like really similar to perfect Mm. day because i think i was so Mm -hmm. deeply influenced by it um like, I, I feel like it's really easy to say what you should be playing is like Mazzy Star oh, or, yeah. uh, or Will Oldham or like Cat Power or, uh, you know, um, these, these songs that feel like they're just like very insane, early 2000s India of you. Dark beauty. But then I realized that there is actually the perfect song for this beyond perfect day. Wait, the ER theme from the TV show. Okay, yeah, this is a good one. I feel like it's got some of the jauntiness. Oh, I like this pick. That, that, like, that gives you like a little bit of pep and makes the narrative of the scene complicated, but it's also so sad and so dark. And you're also doing a good job making the movie right now. This is a good idea for a movie. Yeah. It, this would be a very good movie scene, yes. These hot all on them day. And I don't know about you guys, but I could listen to this 12-minute song all day long without ever getting sick of it. This is great. So here, so here's to here's to Nina Simone and Sinner Man, which I think would make a, a great OD, a great OD song. What about Pusher Man? I think she also covers that actually. And like basically anything that Rodriguez does would. would oh, be. like Sugar Man. There are yeah, lots and lots. I, and, yeah. Wait, yeah, why are we Sugar ignoring Man's Better Man by Eddie Vedder? Oh my God. <laughs> Sugar Man, Pusher Man, Sinner Man, Beggar Man. Uh, Particle Man. Particle. Oh, I was working on. I was working on the Mount Rushmore, but Particle Man is a good fifth en- entry. <laughs> Of the man songs. We should do a top 10 man songs episode. One thing I like about your pick, Heather, is that I think that like that music might help you not die. Totally. Because think about how many people this music's lives have already saved. Well, okay, that's a, that's a different angle on it than I was thinking. <laughs> I was just thinking, we're alluding to the fact that it's that it's just a little bit more upbeat than the other ones that you mentioned. And yeah. so as I was thinking of this question, I was, I, I, my first was like, my first thought was like, okay, well, what's like the most beautiful song that I know, you know? And so yeah. I was thinking like Moonlight Sonata. And I was like, no, I'm definitely dying if Moonlight Sonata is playing. Like, there's no question that that's like, that's how you die. And so then I was like, okay. So I was trying to find something. And I don't know. I didn't get upbeat, but I did get to, I'm picking Neil Young's Like a Hurricane. And the reason is. Oh, that's a great choice. Because I'm okay with whichever way it goes while that's playing. Uh I think that it's, it's it's like good for living for, you know, like it's a song that's about like love and stuff, you know, but at the same, you know, Hey, there's calm in your eye. You know, it's like it's also like a very at peace with everything sort of song. So it's like, you know, we'll see how this thing ends up, and I'm I'm okay with it uh, while this is playing. That's a great pick. Also keeps your classic rock picks going. Well, you know, I'm trying to be very obvious. Also, Joshua, I know you're. 
I love it. Joshua, you're going to give me shit for this one, but I will also put in a plug for the Miley Cyrus cover of Metallica's Nothing Else Matters. I would die Whoa, for sure. That's left field. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly. My OG last well, one Well, that's second. what's interesting. You're saying you can go either way. Heather Stein's kind of sounds like she might make it out. I might. I picked. I'm like, I'm on my deathbed. See you later, guys. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> so I guess we got all three. So we don't know how the movie ends for each of us. That's good. Dude. If you guys have not genuinely listened to that Miley Cyrus song from beginning to end, I and have. if you can honestly tell me you do not enjoy it, you if are. If you figure I out, can. Heather. I if, can 100% tell you. And to be, Heather, before I knew you liked it, I sent a tweet. When <laughs> I was it just going to make my, that joke. When it came on my thing, I, I sent a tweet that said, I think I have just heard the worst thing that I've ever heard. Josh, it is, I was just going to make that joke. I was going to be like, I bet if you look at the day of the release, we can find Joshua tweeting angrily about it. I didn't know it existed. That is amazing. It just came on my like new spotify whatever and i was like oh because spotify cares about you joshua wow <laughs> it wants you to expand your horizons well, i guess we're gonna have to play that song and let people decide scene uh where renton dives into the worst toilet in scotland to retrieve his uh opium suppositories is is uh, like for many viewers of the movie only one of two totally iconic hallucinatory scenes the other one being of course the fucking terrifying chucky baby who crawls all over the ceiling Uh, right thank god they had a low enough budget so that baby just looked scary and creepy like a scary creepy doll and not a real like CGI baby they would make now baby. or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. If they made that movie now, I mean, it's I think still it fucking be, it be awful and horrifying and creepy, but <laughs> it in a really is. Way. Um, but I, but I think that this is a movie where you you really remember those uh, sort of surreal dream scenes that are that are on the other side of the grit and social realism, and uh, mm-hmm. and it really made me think about movies that that do that where you where you like are plucked out of the narrative and dropped into a hallucination or a dream as opposed to the kind of movie that's just like that the whole time like charlie and the chocolate factory <laughs> you know what i mean right yeah. um mm-hmm. and so i want to i want to hear from you guys what what your favorite uh what your favorite hallucination scenes in movies are the first thing that popped into my head was the um Big Lebowski just checked in to see what condition my condition is in. Fucking oh, Kenny Rogers, baby. One, yeah, yeah and it's Kenny <laughs> Rogers. I think Glenn Campbell plays in that that's too. That's a great one. And um, someone spikes his white Russian. I think it's Jackie Treehorn. And he's like at the bad guy's lair. You know, the whole movie is like a shaggy dog <laughs> story. And he goes into this like crazy hallucinatory dream state to this song. But it's also like an old Busby Berkeley like musical. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, they're obsessed with hot. But then they also like also yeah. Saddam Hussein rents some bowling shoes. And it's just really wonderful. And I went to see it in a theater. And admittedly, I did not know what to think about that whole movie. Because, you know, Fargo had come out. Everyone was raving about it. I ran to the movie theater to see yeah. it. And it wasn't until like I rented it and rewatched it that I really appreciated it. Because I yep. remember just being like what is going on? And I, that scene oh, blew my mind. I saw it in the theater like opening weekend and the, the yeah. theater was silent. 
people weren't laughing. Yeah. It was like, it was just sort of like, well, this is interesting. Because we all were, I guess, thinking of Fargo and not Raising Arizona. Actually, Raising Arizona has an amazing, does that count as a dream scene at the end when he's like, I dreamed on into the future and he imagines I all the characters' futures? that's a little futures? different, although it is an amazing That's a pretty amazing, uh, yeah. You're right. That's not a rabbit hole down being drugged one. But the, that's a different kind of dream scene. I think. I um, think yeah, you're that's right, my thought, though. Like I think that's that's my uh, one of the top, top, top choices, if not the top. It really is. Yeah, that's an incredible you guys, choice. Jeff Bridges is in Chris Christopherson territory. Yeah, you can't do wrong. I love all the attempted cinematic techniques at like yep. making you feel like you're on drugs or something. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> I love in the 60s and 70s when they just zoom in and out really <laughs> yeah, fast. Totally. Which makes no sense at all. Yeah, and like lots of lens flares. Or they do like the fishbowl lens and you get really close to people, which I guess is kind of like that, but it's, yeah, and then someone's like, what's wrong? And they're usually, they usually fail a lot, unlike transpotting. I, I don't have an answer that I feel like fulfills the criteria wonderfully. I was going to take a moment and, and, and laugh about a bad one. How literal uh, Oliver Stone's The Doors hallucinations are. That it's like, you know, oh, there's the <laughs> Indian that he talks about. You know, I don't know. It's just so, so like worshipful oh God, of yeah. Jim Morrison and his nonsense, those, like uh, prophet shaman stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and so the answer that I'm going to give is a little bit of a cheat because it actually is not a hallucination, but it seems like a hallucination because she has been drugged and I'm picking Rosemary's baby. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Yes. Right. And so and the devil face. It is like an inter, it is like a hallucination. Yeah. But that's a great one. That's what's yes, so fucked is. up about it. But no, you know what? I guess, I guess while, yes. No, she's having stuff. sex with the devil. Though. Right. There is stuff that's <laughs> happening that is not a hallucination that feels like a hallucination, but there actually is moments of actual hallucination too, right? Her on the boat and things like that, that are part of the hallucination. Oh, and that's yeah, all boat. incredibly, incredibly yes. uh, creepy and, and, and confusing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very so, yeah, disorienting yeah. as a viewer. Yeah, it is. And and those are those I think those are hard things to to do. Um so I'm picking a hallucination that actually plays with how much is a hallucination and gets away with revealing a little bit about what's happening in the movie because as viewers we think this is just all a hallucination. We don't actually think, "Oh god, that's literally happening." Even though she says that's this is actually happening She's, she lives in the worst building uptown <laughs> hell satan hell satan hell satan I hadn't seen this movie. I don't, I'm pretty sure I hadn't seen this movie since it came out. And I pretty much only really remembered the classic, if you, will, you want to call it classic rock, I, I guess we'll call it that, the old the old songs. I pretty much only really remembered the Lou Reed and, uh, and oh, really? pop stuff. You didn't have yeah. the, the clubby I didn't really stuff remember that in your stuff. memory? I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I mean, obviously I heard that stuff at the time because the, 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 the the soundtrack was on everywhere but i didn't remember it like when my memory of the movie was pretty much the the old songs um and so rewatching it i was surprised by how many um 
um, current songs there were certainly by how many by the by the British uh, you know the the Blurs and the Pulps and all those groups, but uh, then definitely how much electronica there was. I I hadn't quite remembered that, but man. Um, in that, that was- era, when movies were trying so hard to jump on whatever the new bandwagon was, and so I felt like you were kind of like seeing movies a lot that were like trying to like jam this music down people's throats, you know, and it wasn't, and it didn't always work, and it was just sort of like, what is going on here, you know? I, do I need Fat Boy Slim in every other movie I see? Um, <laughs> that, that this movie does it so well, and you can tell that it's like. Um, the people who made this movie listen to this music and I don't know that that's true about a lot of the music and And I'm alluding to all this to say because I Heather's going to tell me more about it I still don't know a lot about all this music but boy it's used well in this movie and it's so believable that it exists in this movie yes yes it is and and I think part of that is that you are absolutely right Joshua the people who made this movie were listening to this music there's also this moment in the movie when uh Kelly McDonald says, uh, things are changing. Culture is changing. Music is changing. And it takes Renton a second to take that information in. Because again, this is this is like the story of moving from uh, you know, early 80s death of first wave punk into this this like 90s moment of, mm-hmm. of British electronica. And um and I think that the, the movie does such a beautiful, subtle job of telling us that story of the culture changing and leaving these guys behind unless unless they change with it. Um, in and and and, and, a, and a, maybe for me the like best encapsulation of that is the Underworld song, Born Slippy Nux, which is the song at the end of the movie. Dad boy, dog boy, dirty no angel boy. She was a lipstick boy She was a beautiful boy And tears boy And all in your inner space Boy, I had hand girls boy And steel boy I had chemicals boy I'd grown so close to you boy And you just grown boy She said come over, come over She smiled at you Which uh, is just I mean, an astonishingly listenable, danceable piece of art electronica. It is ethereal, it is poetic, it is evocative, but you but it's not chill out room music. Like it's not the music that you listen to as you're coming down and you're needing a break from the dance floor. Like you can still move to it. Um, and and it is uh, I just God, I'm 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 like I'm I'm like such a fucking fangirl for Underworld and for this particular song and the way that it operates in this movie. Andrew McDonald, the producer of the movie, uh, said in uh, in one of the interviews, the piece of music most people will remember from the film is that end track. There's a typical argument about whether that piece of music was what made the film, or whether it was the film that made the music. And of course, the truth is, it's both. Mm-hmm. Which is like, 
Andrew McDonald is claiming this is the perfect movie soundtrack. <laughs> and maybe it's a, it's, it's a fantastic song in general, but especially where it appears in the movie and the way it's used at the end of the movie. It's it's so beautiful. It turns yeah. out that it's the B side of uh, of a single that did terribly for Underworld. Underworld is a is a Welsh band. They started in Cardiff a number of years before the movie was made, but they hadn't really hit it uh, in any significant way. But because Danny Boyle genuinely cares about electronica and about this like early wave of electronica that's moving out of house and into these other more progressive, more artistic moments, he picks this fucking single up and he's like, I've never heard of this. And he brings it home and he's like, I love this. This was after the movie had been shot. He he's doing this Whoa. during during editing of the film, and he's like, I, I have to get this song wow. into into the into the film. Um, it had failed as a single. Nobody was really buying it. Uh, and Underworld actually doesn't want to agree to it. They're like, when people try to use our music, they're just trying to show like a terrible version of club life. Yeah. And Danny Boyle's like, like I just said, people doing with mm-hmm. all this music and in, in that era. Yeah. Yeah, and Danny Boyle says, not me, baby, and shows them a clip because the movie's already been shot and they're busy editing, and Underworld is like, okay, yeah, no, you can, you can, you can. Yeah, they're like, please put <laughs> right, us yeah. in this. This looks insane yeah, and so cool. definitely yeah. have that song, uh, which we've sold like four copies of on White Label. <laughs> um, when the movie comes out, it hits number two on the British charts. Wow. I mean, Danny Boyle ends up later calling it the heartbeat of the film, and, and part of that is the is the four-four beat in it, the bump, 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 bump that it carries. But I think it's more than that. I think he's right. I think it really is. Uh, it, it really kind of opens up the possi- the narrative possibility at the end of the film and, and reveals this mood that, that hasn't been there quite yet. Um, and the... Underworld is essentially a combination of a, of a uh, vocalist and a producer. The producer's name is Rick Smith. Once the song hit so big in the UK after Trainspotting comes out, it ends up being played on the BBC's Radio 1 Breakfast Hour, which is like the... It's like mm-hmm. our equivalent of being played on Morning Edition. Like <laughs> Radio One does not <laughs> spend time on Breakfast <laughs> Hour with uh, music like this in that moment. Um, and the Underworld producer Rick Smith is like, I, "I when this happened, like I thought, yeah, music is moving, culture is moving, it's spreading. Like something is actually happening, and, and our kind of music is becoming more available to people, which I think is spot on. It's it's true." And um, and I think that th- that essentially any underworld that you put on is just as listenable today as it was uh, when it came out. But this song in particular, I think, like if you throw this on and crank your stereo up, you will be hard pressed to not enjoy the next five to eight minutes. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's great in the movie, and it's great on its own. You guys, is this the perfect movie soundtrack? We know that the producer, Andrew McDonald, thinks it is. He we, told us that the I two... Have, I have a bigger the question. Music draw, and the, should we draw straws to see who's going to answer first? Well, can I ask a question before we say that? I will... I will permission granted. Thank you. Permission. <laughs> is, <laughs> is this the first perfect movie soundtrack that we unanimously agree on? 
I'm almost certain it is. Because I'm just assuming everyone's going to say yes. I will give my answer then because my answer is going to be the shortest answer I've ever given to this question. Because it's dirty dancing. <laughs> yes, of course it is. All right. Heather, we know you're on board, right? Yeah, I I think it's by far the best one we've ever talked about. And I'm very hard pressed to think of any that will ever surpass it for me. They do. You know, we always go back to do they need each other? Does the soundtrack need the movie and the movie need the soundtrack? And it really feels this way with this experience of this project. The biggest no brainer um, to this question that we've that we've encountered so far. Yeah, totes. Yeah, I wonder maybe on Twitter, someone will give us a counter argument. I'd like to hear if there's a counter argument. You always want the counter argument. What if we just agreed for once? It's fine. We're no, alive. we're all agreeing, but you know, <laughs> not part of this mainstream media just tell me what to think Heather choose truth social Can I share the most startling thing I discovered during a little research I was doing with you guys? All right. I'm going to tell you about some really startling uh, track I came across um, during the research that I don't know if many people know exists, but we had just mentioned Iggy Pop's Lust for Life, a true classic. The song was so huge that it showed up in all these commercials, and it also showed up as a 2003 cover in the movie Rugrats Go Wild, sung, <laughs> sung by Bruce Willis, with oh, some of the lyrics changed to be about the cartoon toddlers and the dog. What? Hit it, Joshua. <laughs> I'm usually not a guy who says the cover is better than the original, but I think in this case it is. <laughs> Here comes John McClane from Die Hard. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh good. I have no idea what's going on. And you thought that the most shameful thing that had ever happened to this song was it being used in Royal Caribbean ads. <laughs> I think they say less for life. They got the backup singers. I'm just I a mean, modern Matt, doll. Matt, this is okay. making me want to watch Rugrats too. Wow. All right. Well, <laughs> it's funny you said that, Heather, because I have the next pick. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to watch next? Funny you should ask. We're getting into fall. 
Thank God. And fall to me means a genre we haven't done yet, which is the rom-com. Oh. And that is that is a major soundtrack category. Interesting. Whether you love them or not, the rom-com has some huge major soundtracks. And we're going to do the one that I think is the quintessential soundtrack. And it has an... We're going to have to come up with a new term. Because it doesn't have a shadow soundtrack. It has something else that we're going to have to talk about. And we are going to do 1989's When Harry Met Sally. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay. That's a, that's a big this, one. Going for it. This, we got to open, open with a rom-com. So we'll, we'll open with a strong one with an iconic rom-com soundtrack. I feel like uh, this is a... Fall in New York, baby. Uh, this is a true Matt pick. Like Joshua's a big fan yeah. of this movie. I, I am a big fan well, of this movie. Well, I mean, movie, I think yeah. everybody is a fan of the movie, yeah. but I feel like it's like a particularly Lombardi movie. Oh, yeah? I mean, Billy Crystal it might as yeah. well be Billy Joel. They're like the same guy. <laughs> 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 Choose podcast. Oh, my oh God. My God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, you can get a playlist with all the songs from this episode. We'll post a link to it in our show notes, along with links to our Twitter and our Instagram. We appreciate your rates, your reviews, reaching out to us, telling us when you see some controversial or brilliant soundtrack opinion out there in the world that we need to weigh in on or argue against or be aware of. For Heather and Matt, this is Joshua. And we'll see you in two weeks for another episode of The Perfect Movie Soundtrack.